How do you calculate the power requirements of a construction site? The traditional method has been to start with the biggest bits of kit on site. That's often the tower cranes. You would check the maximum power recommended in the manual for each crane. You'd typically find it would need a few hundred amps of power. On most sites, this level of power won't be available off the grid. Instead, you'll need a generator. So you round up the power requirement for each crane to match that of the generators available to hire locally. Then you'll place a generator close to each crane and maybe another for welfare cabins and general site requirements. Some more for construction hoists and a bit of overhead just in case. So now on a site with three or four cranes and three or four construction hoists, welfare cabins and other electrical equipment, you have multiple diesel generators, each pumping out carbon dioxide, along with other emissions. But these generators are only working in short bursts. As a crane operator pushes the lever to raise a load, a surge of power is needed to overcome gravity. For most of the lift, nowhere near this top level of power demand, peak power, is needed. And for most of the day, that diesel generator is just being used to keep cab lights, control and air conditioning running. It's like charging your phone each night by plugging it into your car USB and driving around until it's at 100%. But what if you could just supply the average power needed across the site? If you could store the electricity coming into your site and then release it in short bursts as it's needed... You could power the entire project with just a few amps from the grid or a renewable energy source. Achieving this would allow sites anywhere to work without generators. That would enable full electrification of most construction equipment. It would slash the impact of the building industry on climate change. And it would save designers and project managers all of the hassle that comes with laying thick cables or fueling up generators. But it would require forms of energy storage that could be slowly charged and could then release intense levels of power in an instant. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Rian Owen. And I'm Johnny Dowling. Today we are looking at the problem of peak power on construction sites and two systems that are helping equipment suppliers to minimise or work entirely without fossil fuel generators. When I look at tower cranes and them being paired with generators, I think it's an absolutely dire thing. That's Steve Bradby. He's the technical lead for Select Plant Hire in the UK. The company is part of contractors Lang O'Rourke. It owns some of the largest tower cranes available, using them on constricted city centre sites to build some of the country's most iconic and important projects. We originally interviewed him for our How to Build a Railway series, looking at Select's work on HS2, where it has supplied electric train crawler cranes. The bulk of our cranes do go on mains. We see 10 to 20% of the fleet on generators. Often they're on a generator at the start of a job because there's a delay getting power to site. And occasionally there the, the simply isn't the power throughout the job. So, but, and, and there is a slight difference. The select fleet are very large capacity cranes. So the bulk of our fleet is over 24 tonne capacity. A substantial amount is over 32 tonne capacity and some of it's over 66 tonne capacity, which in the tower crane world is big. So therefore their power supply matches that, it's big. 
The biggest tower crane select suppliers are luffing jib tower cranes. These are typically used in city centres. They feature a jib, the arm extending out from the crane, that pivots up from the superstructure. The lifting rope runs up the jib, with the hook hanging from the rope over the jib tip. That allows them to lift up higher than the cab and to work without moving over neighbouring sites. Some of the largest of these cranes are the Terex CTL 1600-66s. These can lift 66 tonnes when the jib is raised to work at its minimum radius. A crane's strength decreases the further away the load is from the mast, but one of these cranes can still lift 16 tonnes at the end of its 75 metre jib. That's plenty even for modern construction techniques that use large prefabricated beams, panels and even volumetric modules. To make those big lifts, the manufacturer says that the crane will need around 400 kilovolt amps of power. It also uses power to raise the jib using winches and ropes and to turn or slew the crane using electric motors to turn the slewing ring, essentially a big gear at the base of the upper structure. So normally you'd see anything from 300 to 650 amp power supply right. required. And obviously with that, not only do you need the power from the, 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 the street to come in um, to deliver those peaks, but also you need cables and the cables can be huge and they have to be dragged around site. To give you an example, on one of our, uh, the big cranes, which is a, you know, a 66 ton lifter, it requires, so the, the requirement from the manufacturer says it would need a, three, uh, a 650 kVA generator. Now 650s don't really exist um, readily available. So the, the, the nearest size that we can pick up is 800. So we'll stick an 800 kVA generator powering this crane. Assuming that that crane was working for 60 hours a week over 50 weeks, so roughly a year, your generator, standard 800 kVA generator, would be costing you around 200, uh, with fuel, around 230,000 pounds for the year to run your crane. But that 800 kilovolt amp generator isn't working all day. It's mostly just working when the operator first pushes a lever to move the crane or to hoist a load. Every time the that the operator goes to start a mechanism, there's a sudden surge in demand, exactly the same as accelerating from the traffic lights. Your power requirement to get the vehicle moving is substantial and it drops off very quickly. Select needed a way to average out the power on site. Systems that would release a surge of power just for those few seconds when it is needed, but which could be charged slowly using a small generator or a main supply. We've headed down two routes with the tower cranes. We've got punch flybridge, and we've also got the amped batteries from Hong Kong. So both a slightly different application for the two, but the outcome is phenomenal. The two systems select users are based on very different technologies. Punch's flybrid is based on a flywheel. A power source sets a mass spinning in a vacuum sealed box. When a surge of power is needed, this is drawn from the flywheel. For a moment, the flywheel slows its spin but then using a trickle of electricity directly or transferred via mechanical or hydraulic means, it picks up speed. The entertainer from Ampt is essentially a bunch of batteries in a container. Increasingly, companies are offering mobile or modular battery packs like this, which can be used for general power requirements on site. These, however, generally only have low power outputs. Ampt's entertainers are designed less for their overall storage capacity and more for their multiple high power outputs. 
originally we developed the flywheels um, for motorsport. Because I think everybody can imagine that a, a racing car, Formula One racing car or Le Mans prototype has a very highly dynamic duty cycle with very high powered um, events that occur very frequently in a short period of time. Um, and this is, uh, this is where Flywheel can play to its strengths. That was Tobias Nickel. He's the managing director of Punch Flybrid in the UK. As he explains, it is on equipment with highly dynamic duty cycles, a crane, a racing car, that flywheels have demonstrated their benefits. Flybrid unit comes from uh, the realization that it will become more and more unacceptable to waste energy, um, no matter where that energy is coming from. Um, but also the observation that dynamic duty cycles waste a lot of energy. And with dynamic duty cycles, we mean um, profiles for a powertrain that require high peak powers, but that have quite a low average power. Um, and traditionally, what that requires is that you size the powertrain for the peak power requirement. And which means that if the average power is, is low, that you have an oversized powertrain that you uh, carry around, that you, you have to fuel, um, and that ultimately is... Um, less efficient than if you were to be able to size the powertrain more around the average load. And so when you, when you observe these dynamic duty cycles, you realize that if you could have an energy storage system that can deal with uh, spikes in the load, um, then you can uh, have that scenario where you can size the main powertrain more around the average load. A chemical battery always has a much better um, energy density, both volumetric and uh, also in terms of weight. And uh, a chemical battery can also store the energy much, much longer um, compared to a mechanical flywheel. Um, and so um, it's different duty cycles where these energy storage can play to their um, advantages. The dynamic duty cycles that require this really high power, high frequent energy injections, um, this is where the flywheel can play to their strengths because the flywheel is very robust. Chemical batteries have a limited life cycle. They can only be charged and discharged a certain number of times before their capacity drops. The battery in your phone may now keep its capacity for 3,000 charges and will often outlast the phone itself. But a crane may need peak power hundreds of times a day. A racing car will draw on a hybrid system many times more. But if you have a, a duty cycle, like for example, a tower crane or an excavator um, or um, um, a, a concrete pump or something like that, that has many, many hundreds of cycles uh, per day, then you really could use the strengths of a flywheel, which, you know, flywheel energy storage system is designed to do more than 10 million full charge and discharge cycles. So it's orders of magnitudes different compared to um, what you would typically do out of a a chemical battery. The core components of a flywheel system aren't anything new. Flywheels obviously have been uh, have been around for for hundreds of years, right? We use them in, in pottery wheels and and whatever else for for, for for centuries. The the trick is really about making a flywheel system with with modern materials that you can spin fast, um, that you that achieves a good power density that is reliable to um, to in operation and that's cost efficient um, to produce. And that does require uh, the technologies that we have nowadays. Right, and that were not possible to, to use uh, many years ago. 
there were um, in the 50s in Munich in Germany, there were some buses driving around that used big cast iron flywheels, right? And, and, and the idea was there that, you know, you would charge up the flywheel electrically at the bus station as the passengers were go, getting on and off of the bus. And then you drive to the next station on flywheel power alone and you had again another time to, to, to spin it up, right? But in order to make that work, um, these guys needed a, a cast iron flywheel that was weighing 500 kilograms. That was the diameter basically of the width of the bus, right? And when you install it in the bus, you had 10 places less of passengers that you could take, right? And, and, and because um, the, the flywheel was so heavy, it had significant geoscopic forces. So even on a relatively slow bus, when you're driving around the corner, it had an impact on the, on the driving dynamics of the bus, right? And so nowadays, with the materials that we have around us, we can make a flywheel that instead of weighing 500 kilograms, weighs only five kilograms, right? But spins obviously much faster and achieves the same amount of energy storage. And like this, it's much more feasible. Manufacturing a flywheel that is suitable for these peak power applications doesn't take particularly novel or hard to source materials, but it does take clever design. Yeah, so, so one of the uh, beautiful characteristics of the flywheel is, is that it is made out of conventional materials. Um, basically, any kind of factory that can make an internal combustion engine or a transmission has the kind of machines and the kind of processes to be able to make a, um, a flywheel energy storage system. So the flywheel itself is a, is a steel um, flywheel that is a forged component and it is housed in an in a aluminium casing and the casings are um, cast um, aluminium parts. And so, so the kind of manufacturing processes um, that you use to create a flywheel system are very similar to the, the manufacturing process, are, are the same as the manufacturing processes for internal combustion engine or transmission. When we were working in, in motorsport, our systems were mechanically connected to the powertrain. Um, and so I would always say that a, a, a hybrid system, any form of hybrid system, always consists of two major components. Um, one is responsible for the energy storage to the, to the application, this time, in this uh, case, the vehicle. In, in our case, for the motorsport application, we used a, a purely mechanical setup. So um, we had um, a kind of a continuously variable transmission between the flywheel and the vehicle. And you, you need a continuously variable transmission in this case because what you want to do is you want to store energy when the vehicle is slowing down, right? So, so the normal duty cycle of a, of a racing car is, is that you have chemical energy stored in the, in the fossil fuel that, that's in the fuel tank of the racing car. And you use an internal combustion engine to, to take energy from that fuel and create mechanical power. And you use that uh, mechanical power to accelerate the vehicle, to, to increase the kinetic energy of that vehicle. And then when the driver um, hits the brakes, and in a normal traditional car, um, what would happen is the um, friction pads uh, grab onto the brake disc, right? And, and they turn all of that kinetic energy into heat on the brakes and the heat just gets lost. In a vehicle with a hybrid system, 
you want to store that energy when the vehicle is slowing down. You want to store that kinetic energy when the vehicle is slowing down. And with a mechanical, with a flywheel-based hybrid system, what you do is you um, increase the speed of the flywheel while the vehicle is slowing down. So the ratio in speed between the flywheel and the vehicle is constantly changing. As the vehicle is getting slower, the flywheel is getting faster and faster and faster. And this is why you need some kind of um, continuously variable transmission between the flywheel and the vehicle. Designing a system that works efficiently and meets the needs of many very different applications is essentially all about setting the right size mass spinning at the right speed. A flywheel stores energy as kinetic energy. The kinetic energy equation is uh, kinetic energy equals half times J, so the inertia. So the inertia is related uh, basically to the uh, to the size and to the to the mass of the flywheel times uh, omega squared. And omega is the angular velocity, so that's the speed of the flywheel. Um, and so, in a way, you know, the 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 faster you can spin the flywheel, uh, the less mass you need to store the the same amount of energy. And because the speed goes as a square, it means that if you can spin the, the flywheel twice as fast, you only need a quarter of the mass uh, to store the same amount of energy, right? Um, but yeah, um, the, the flywheel can be designed for, for different applications, for different energy storage system, uh, st storage requirements. And that means, you know, you can make the flywheel a little bit bigger in diameter, you can make it longer to adjust the, the energy storage. This is why we can design a flywheel that can fit into a racing car. It needs to be very compact, very small, and so that means we spin it very quickly. But we can also design it um, for construction site, um, where maybe size and weight are not the primary considerations, but material costs, uh, you know, overall purchasing costs uh, are probably more important. And so for the construction industry, we actually have... Um, one standard size that covers everything um, from a 100 kVA generator up to a 1000 kVA generator. The origins of Amped and Attainer are very different to those of the Flybrid. Where the Flybrid uses technology as ancient as the potter's wheel, the Entertainer uses batteries. Not an entirely novel technology, but one that is still evolving and is likely to continue to see rapid development. Where Flybrid has its roots in motorsport, the Entertainer was designed from the start for use with large tower cranes. Amped Energy, which had previously developed UPSs, or uninterrupted power supplies, was set to challenge by the executive director of Balfour Beatty's Asian JV, Gammon. And that challenge is one that the construction industry as a whole faces, um, especially as we're moving into a lower carbon environment. That challenge is replacing diesel generators on construction sites. So um, not, not an easy one to achieve as, <laughs> as a lot of the industry knows. Um, but then we, we, we set ourselves to work. So between 2017 and 2018, um, we, we sort of worked with Gammon to define what that case could look like. In late 2019, we had the first entertainer delivered um, to a Gammon site and to power one tower crane. We're pleased to say we still have that partnership with them now. Um, we've had many, significantly more entertainers delivered through Gammon, through Gammon since then, but they've been a fantastic development partner, not only to get the entertainer just sort of off the ground in the first sense, uh, but also continuing to help us with that product feedback to really tweak and define um, the unit to, to what we see today in five markets. That's Hayley Arkless, UK Country Manager for Ampt. Like Punch's Flybrid, Ampt Entertainer configures an existing technology for the specific needs of the construction industry. 
battery technology is, is battery technology. But for Amped Energy, I think what makes us truly different is that we are a product company. We're really digging into that customer problem. We stay very close in contact with them. We design and control the entire project. So, so we're not an, an integrator or, or a factory like you see in a lot of other sort of battery companies. We, we build the whole product. So that's everything, including the, the hardware, the firmware, the software. Absolutely everything is designed ground up by us. The entertainer unit is is designed to act like a water tower. So we, we constantly trickle in a small amount of input power. Now, our base case tends to be the grid, um, a, a grid access, but it also could be a very small generator. It could be renewable power, which of course will be the ideal. Um, and then it stores all of that power up. And what it can do is push out a high current intermittently. The large tower cranes that work in a constricted city like Hong Kong, where skyscrapers are the default option for construction, are ideal candidates for use with an entertainer. So if we take a tower crane, for example, the base load on that tower crane is incredibly low. So, so the, the, the majority of the day, and I really do mean majority when I say that, it's around about 98% of the day minimum that crane is running on a base load. Um, but when it does need to lift, it demands an incredibly high amount of power, which means that construction companies have to size up a diesel generator or they have to size up a grid connection to meet that maximum demand, which is often less than 2% of the day. And, and that's why it's incredibly difficult to remove that diesel generator because we understand in a lot of a lot of different parts of the world the grid is incredibly constrained. So you you have to to wait a long time often, even if it is possible to get that that upgraded grid connection. This doesn't mean there is no power. Rather, on most sites, the power connection cannot handle the peak demands of a crane. We're often able to take an existing building supply, an existing connection that's there, which is often way too low to do anything with in, in a normal construction case, we're actually able to take that and sort of um, act as a supercapacitor, if you like. When we have these extremely large tower cranes, we still tend to work one entertainer per one tower crane. Gammon used entertainers on one project like this, where they had some power, but not enough for peak demands. The project, called Advanced Manufacturing Centre, is a 108,000 square metre building with a seawater district cooling system. The main cranes on site were 24-tonne STL-410s from Yongmao, a Chinese tower crane manufacturer that is focused on large cranes and has seen considerable success in Asia and other rapidly developing markets. We often have, especially in urban construction environments, an existing power supply. So in this case, there was 400 amps available to the site, but they needed over 2,000 amps to power all of their equipment. Um, and each entertainer took 15 amps, one five, from, from, from that 400 amp um, supply. So we were able to, to take on a significant amount of that infrastructure while also leaving quite a lot of that existing power supply spare they reduce their carbon footprint uh, by 81%. And, and those metrics there are really around removing that, that constantly burning diesel. The, the, the CO2 footprint, if you like, comes from the carbon intensity of the grid that you connect to, rather than, um, of course, a, a diesel generator. The entertainer has been a runaway success. 
since 2019, when we delivered our first entertainer, we now have um, well over 200 units deployed globally. That's across four different markets. And we have a fantastic statistic in, um, in, in Hong Kong now, which it's, it's just over 40% of all construction sites use entertainers. And it's, it's more common than not to see um, entertainers specifically referenced in construction tenders in Hong Kong now. Based on that success, Ampt started looking at new markets to enter. So we, we came to the UK um, as part of our sort of global expansion programme. It's a very simple case from, from a construction perspective. Um, where in the world is construction growing? Where do we have a decarbonisation agenda? And, and where do we know that the grid is, is quite constrained? Their first customer was Select. And in terms of how we, how we actually came about launching here in the UK, we were very fortunate to, um, to have had a, a partnership development with Select Plantire, who are part of, of Lang O'Rourke. They have always been quite a pioneer when it comes to new technologies, decarbonisation, uh, low carbon, low emission technologies. They always seem to be on the first foot, which really made sense for us to, um, to, to, to partner with, with that company. They saw the value in this right away um, and they already had a, a sort of list as long as their arm of customers who they, who they thought this could really be relevant for. The very first project that they, they suggested was one of their own. It's, it's a Lang O'Rourke um, project in, in London, quite a prolific site. It's the future Olympia redevelopment uh, in Kensington in central London. One of the largest construction sites in London, actually, from what I understand, I think they have about 11 tower cranes there. And same problem, same problem as we've seen before, same problem as we'll see time and time again. We have extremely large tower cranes who um, need to be on site for, for years, you know, three, four, five years in this, in this sort of case. We can't get grid connection upgrades for a very long time because we're working in urban areas, the grid is already constrained, and it's a big ask. It's a big ask to a DNO to, 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 be, to, to, to have demand available for these, um, for these types of loads. Even if we are only using them, it, it could be 0.05% of the day, but we still need to make sure they're available to have it. It's a very big ask and it's very difficult um, to achieve. So. Of course, sadly, there were some diesel generators that were needing to be used there, which is the absolute perfect case for the entertainer. So they they took three units in November, December 2022. So they've been they've been on site for about six or seven months now, um, and we've had nothing but positive feedback so far. A DNO is a distribution network operator. The licensed regional monopoly is responsible for bringing temporary power to sites in the UK. Steve was part of the team at Select that gave Ampt that first break into the UK market in Olympia. He's a big fan of Punch's Flybrid, but sees even more scope for carbon saving when it's combined with Entertainer's high-power battery storage. But what's even better is with the batteries, we can save even more. The Flybrid's working really well on that front, and, and it's brilliant if it's generator only. If you have power, but not enough, or if you have power and don't want to run in you know, 250 mil cables in halfway across site or whatever, then we the battery is phenomenal because the battery will, we can, we're charging the batteries at Olympia. They're running on about 20 amps. Select's vote of confidence in the system helped Amped to win new customers in the UK. 
the fact that Select and Lang or Rock were willing to not only take these on from a distribution lens, but also use them on their own sites, I think is so helpful when we're bringing a new technology to, to a market for the first time to, to sort of have that proof point and saying, well, we're so confident in this, we're using them on our own sites, I think really helped us have that fantastic platform in, in which to launch from, um, which then brings us, I believe, to Bomer and Kirkland, who I think do have the, the most amount of entertainers in the country right now. <laughs> Bomer and Kirkland are a UK contractor who have been in operation for over a hundred years. They work on sites across the country using equipment hired in from other suppliers. Dave Shooter is their plant manager. I've been with Bomer and Kirkland since 1995. I started as a Engineers, engineering assistant um, or a chain lad as it was known in those days um, worked the way through to project manager uh, working on high-rise sites on city centers and um, use of every plant on those on those sites and taking ownership of the of the operation of tower cranes and hoists we're running on an average of approximately 20 tower cranes up at any one time um, about the same on construction hoists and gradually climbing up to around 200 mass climbers on our sites by the close of third quarter of this year um, we don't purchase any plant we hire plant in from specialist companies um, that's all the way across tower cranes, hoists and mass climbers. Um, and that's nationally. So as far north as Edinburgh and as far south as Bournemouth. Baumer and Kirkland have been using both Flybrid and Entertainers and are now looking at how these can be used together. Dave first learnt about Flybrid from power system supplier Lee Stewart of Stewart Energy. Yeah, it was, we were introduced to the, to the Flybrid guys um, just coming out of the backside of lockdown. Um, and we ran some trials on, on, on this piece of kit um, with, with Wolfcram, one of our one of our suppliers. The flybrid knocks out that peak power. What's that allowed us to do is is in the first instance we projected that would be making a, a reduction in generator size. Um, by around a third to 60% size and then very quickly realised that we could drop that to, to a 50% halving the generator capacity. Baumer and Kirkland are aiming for net zero carbon on their sites by 2040. He's using the flybrids to handle the immense peaks of tower cranes and the entertainer with its much higher energy storage capacities to power the cranes through the flybrid and other equipment on site. By doing this, he is achieving huge financial and carbon gains. We've got a site in Stoke that's got two 24-ton per metre cranes on it, uh, which will both be requiring a 500 kVA generator. So let's say that we're working a 55-hour week with those cranes. I'm going to be conservative and say that we are running at 25 litres an hour. Most people would laugh at me if I said that a 500 kVA generator would run on, on 25 litres an hour, but for for bulletproof figures, that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna run on. 
So you've got two, two of those generators on a, on a 55-hour week uh, for 52 weeks to make it easy to you know do a yearly consumption. That's 101,000 litres of diesel per generator. So there's two of them on there, so that makes it 202,000 litres of diesel consumed over the year. Um, run your uh, multiplication to get up to... Uh, get into carbon that's th- it, at 25 litres an hour that's 374 tonnes of carbon over a year and at 35 litres an hour if we want a comparison that's generating 530 tonnes of carbon over the two generators on the two cranes. The site didn't justify the use of flybrids and entertainers together but Dave ran through the figures to see what could be achieved. We looked at the flybrid option with a 160 or 165 kVA generator. We would say that the the reduction would be significantly down to, say, 34,000 litres. Again, I'm I'm being conservative there. It could could be a a, a much larger figure depending on what what your consumption is, but I'm being as conservative as I can. That drops drops the, the carbon... Um, footprint there down to 90 tons so we're talking at you know conservative figures 374 and a fire on two 500 kva generators and on two 160 kva generators with a flybrid we're talking about 90 tons so seven a 70 percent reduction minimum in carbon that's a 70 percent carbon saving just with the flybrids but what if you power the flybrids from an entertainer connected to the mains rather than a generator yeah, so dropping to 90 tonnes conservatively on two 160 kVA generators and two flybrids, we've actually put the amped entertainer unit um, on that side and running both the cranes off of that and basically trickle charging it on an average of around 23 to 25 amps, um, approximately 15 hours a day on trickle charge on that. And the carbon comparison is remarkable that we're, we're generating 11 tonne in a year on that, as opposed to if we were traditionally running on two 500 kVAs at 374 to drop it to 11 tonne is just phenomenal. If Dave powered this site from generators, its carbon output would have been over 500 tonnes per year. By using Flybrid on mains power, he would have been able to get that demand down to 90 tonnes per year. But on this site, where demand was best suited to the entertainer alone, he has reduced that by 489 tonnes to just 11 tonnes. And it's allowed him to set the site up without any additional power connections. We're looking at flybridge with 160 kVA, two 160 kVA generators, uh, and we've got enough power within the entertainer unit to power both the cranes. Uh, The first one that we had in the UK, and I think the first one for in the UK that anybody ran two cranes off of the one battery pack. And yeah, essentially we're charging that from something that could be plugged into the back of a street lamp, like a, yeah, one of the, the on-street car chargers. While Flybrid takes care of the biggest peaks, the entertainer can be used across the site. The unit's capable of producing approximately 500, 500 amps. And when we're talking about the consumption that, that we're looking at with the, with the tower cranes, there hasn't quite been anything there until this point with, with that much capacity. 
So that's that's what's made the the antenna tainer different to you know much of the other stuff that's out on the market. Um, is that we yeah we can bring this piece of kit on. It's basically a ten foot shipping container with some very clever kit inside it that we can position wherever you like on the site, yeah, within reason, and uh, plug your kit into it and use it like a substation. We bring the entertainer kit on site and it acts like a substation. It's just like a, a, having a 500, you know, 500 kVA substation at any point on your site that requires a minimal amount of charging. So a very small cable to run across your site from your mains connection or, you know, if you can't get mains, you're running a very small generator to do the trickle charging it. We've got a site being set up at the moment and we're charging them, we're charging the entertainer with a, a 60 kVA generator. Dave was able to use Flybrid and entertainer together to cut the carbon costs on that earlier example from 500 tonnes a year to 11 tonnes a year. When working from the mains, he just needed 20 amps of power, the same as a lamppost car charging point. But as we interviewed him, he was looking at how we could cut the carbon use even further. He was looking to do away with generators and mains connections altogether. Instead, on one site, he hopes to be able to power everything from the sun. He was looking first at a site in Yorkshire, which happens to be next to a canal. The moment we've got the entertainer unit on that site powering the cabins and both the tower cranes. They are small saddle cranes, so there's very small consumption units on there. So we're happy that we've got enough juice in the entertainer to run it. Um, we haven't got mains on that site, so we're trickle charging that entertainer with a 60 kVA. But a tech sheet landed yesterday for an all-in-one solar unit. Um, that's designed to go on top of a port of cabins, but I think, you know, have we got enough space to do it? So, yeah, I got a quote for floating a pontoon on a canal yesterday to put a solar panel on it to charge the entertainer, which statistically stacks up. Let's look again at that question we asked at the beginning. How do you calculate the power requirements of a construction site? If you have flywheels smoothing the peaks of all of your heavy cycling equipment, recharging from high output energy storage systems, which also provide baseload power for cabins and other electrical equipment, and are themselves charged from local renewables. That's easy, isn't it? It's more or less zero. Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. This episode was written and produced by Will North and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and Rian Owen. Editing and series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And our very own peak of power is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. <laughs>